Section 14 of The Little Angel and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Little Angel and Other Stories by Leonid Nikolaevich Andreev. Translated by W. H. Lowe. In the Basement. Part One. He drank hard, lost his work and his acquaintances, and took up his abode in a cellar in the company of thieves and unfortunates living on the last things he had. He was a sickly, anemic body, worn out with work, eaten up by sufferings and vodka. Death was already on the watch for him, like a great bird of prey, blind in the sunshine, sharp-eyed in the black night. By day death hid itself in the dark corners, but at night it took its seat noiselessly by his bedside, and sat long till the very dawn, and was quiet, patient, and persistent. When at the first streak of light he put out his pale head from under the blankets, his eyes gleaming like those of a hunted wild animal, the room was already empty, but he did not trust this deceptive emptiness which others believe in. He suspiciously looked round into all the corners. With crafty suddenness he cast a glance behind his back, and then, leaning upon his elbows, he gazed intently before him into the melting darkness of the departing night. And then he saw something, such as ordinary people do not see. The rocking of a monster grey body, shapeless, terrible. It was transparent, embraced all things and objects were seen in it as behind a glass wall. But now he feared it not, and it departed until the next night, leaving behind it a cold impression. For a short time he was wrapped in oblivion, and terrible, extraordinary dreams came to him. He saw a white room with white floor and walls, illuminated by a bright white light, and a black serpent which was creeping away under the door with a gentle rustling-like laughter. Pressing its sharp flat head to the floor, it wriggled and quickly glided away, and was lost somewhere or other, and then again its black flattened nose appeared through a crevice under the door, and its body drew itself out in a black ribbon, and so again and again. Once in his sleep, he dreamed of something pleasant, and laughed, but the sound seemed strange, and more like a suppressed sob. It was terrible to hear it, his soul somewhere in the unknown depths laughing, or perhaps weeping, while the body lay motionless as the dead. By degrees the sound of nascent day began to invade his consciousness, the indistinct talk of passers-by, the distant squeaking of a door, the swish of Dornick's broom as he brushed away the snow from the window-sill, all the undefined bustle of a great city awakening, and then there came upon him the most horrible, mercilessly clear consciousness that a new day had arrived, and that he would soon have to get up in order to struggle for life without any hope of victory. One must live. He turned his back to the light threw the blanket over his head, so that not the minutest ray might penetrate to his eyes, squeezed himself together into a small ball, drawing his legs up to his very chin, 
and so lay motionless, dreading to stir and to stretch out his legs. A whole mountain of clothes lay upon him as a protection against the cold of the basement, but he did not feel their weight, and his body remained cold. And at every sound, speaking of life, he seemed to himself to be monstrous and unveiled, and he hugged himself together all the tighter and silently groaned, neither with voice nor in thought, since he feared now his own voice and his own thoughts. He prayed to someone that the day might not come, so that he might always lie under the heap of rags without movement or thought, and he concentrated his whole will to keep back the coming day, and to persuade himself that it was still night, and more than anything in the world he wished that someone from behind would put a revolver to the back of his head just at the place where there is a cavity and blow his brains out. But daylight unfolded broad irresistible calling forcibly to life and all the world began to move to talk to work to think the first in the basement to wake was the landlady old matriona she got up from the side of her twenty-five-year-old lover and began to stamp about the kitchen clatter with the buckets and busy herself about something close to kenyakov's very door he felt her approach, and lay quiet, determined not to answer it if she called him. But she kept silence, and went away somewhere. In the course of an hour or two the two other lodgers woke up, an unfortunate named Danyasha, and the old woman's lover, Abram Petrovich. He was so called in spite of his youth, out of respect, because he was a daring and skilful thief, and something else besides, which was guessed at, but not spoken about. The waking up of these terrified Kinyakov more than anything, since they had a hold on him, and the right to come in and sit on his bed, to touch him, and recall him to thought and speech. He had become intimate with Dunyasha one day when he was drunk, and had promised her marriage, and although she had laughed and slapped him on the back, she sincerely considered him as her lover, and patronized him, although she was herself a stupid, dirty, unwashed slut, who had spent many a night at the police station. With Abram Petrovich he had only the day before yesterday been drinking, and they had kissed one another and sworn eternal friendship. When the fresh loud voice of Abram Petrovich and his quick steps resounded near the door, Kinyakov's heart's blood curdled with fear and suspense and he could not help groaning aloud, and then was all the more frightened. In one distinct picture that drinking bout passed before him, how they had sat in some dark tavern or other, illumined by a single lamp, amid dark people who kept whispering together about something, while they themselves also whispered together. Abram Petrovich was pale and excited, and complained of the hardships of a thief's life. For some reason or other he had bared his arms and allowed him to feel the badly mended bones of his once broken arm. And Kinyakov had kissed him and said, I love thieves, they are so bold, and proposed to him that they should drink to brotherhood, although they had for long been on quite intimate terms. And I love you because you are educated and understand us so well, replied Abram Petrovich. Look again at my arm. Here it is, eh? 
and again the white arm had passed before his eyes, seeming to be sorry for its own whiteness. And suddenly realizing something which he did not now remember or understand, he had kissed that arm, and Abram Petrovich had proudly cried, Indeed, brother, death before surrender. And then something dirty whirling round and round, howls, whistles, and jumping lights. And then he had felt cheerful, but now when death was hiding in the corners, and when day was rushing in upon him from every direction with the inexorable necessity to live and do something, to struggle after something and ask for something, he felt tortured and inexpressibly frightened. "'Are you asleep, sir?' Abram Petrovich inquired sarcastically through the door, and receiving no answer, added, "'Well, then, sleep away, devil take you!' Many acquaintances visited Abram Petrovich, and throughout the day the door squeaked on its hinges, and bass voices were to be heard. And it seemed to Kenyakov at every sound that they were coming for him, and he buried himself the deeper in his bedclothes, and listened long to catch to whom the voice belonged. He waited and waited in agony, trembling all over his body, although there was no one in the whole world who would come to fetch him. He had once had a wife long ago, but she was dead. Still further back in the past he had had brothers and sisters, and still earlier something indistinct and beautiful, which he called mother. All these were dead, or possibly some one of them might still be alive, only so lost in the wide, wide world that he was as though dead, and he himself would soon be dead too, he knew it. When he should get up today, his legs would tremble and give way under him, and his hands would make uncertain strange motions, and this was death. But meanwhile he must need live, and that is such a serious task for a man who has neither money, health, nor will, that Kinyakov was seized with despair. He threw off his blanket, clasped his hands, and breathed out into the void such prolonged groans that they seemed to proceed from a thousand suffering breasts. Therefore was it that they were so full, brimming over with insupportable torture. "'Open, you devil!' cried Dunyasha from the other side of the door, pounding it with her fists, "'or I'll break the door down!' Trembling with tottering steps, Kinyakov reached the door, opened it, and quickly lay down again, nay, almost fell on his bed. Dunyasha, already befrizzled and bepowdered, sat down at his side, shoving him against the wall, and crossing her legs said with an air of importance, I have brought you news. Katya expired yesterday. What? Katya? asked Kinyakov, using his tongue clumsily and uncertainly, as though it did not belong to him. Come now, you can't have forgotten, laughed Anyasha. The Katya who used to live here, how can you have forgotten her when she has only been gone a week? Died? Why, of course died, as we all die. Danyasha moistened the tip of her little finger and wiped the powder from her thin eyelashes. What of? What we all die of? Who knows what? They told me yesterday at the cafe Katya was dead. Did you love her? Certainly I loved her. What are you talking about? Danyasha's stupid eyes looked at Kenyakov in dull indifference as she swung her fat leg. 
she did not know what more to say, and tried to look at him as he lay there in such a manner as to show to him her love, and with that intent she gently winked her eye and dropped the corners of her full lips. The day had begun. End of section 14